welcome back to the Brockless podcast. As usual, I am joined with Nathan, and on today's episode, we have, unfortunately, Bristol City to talk about. Um, yeah, I mean, Ashton Gate, we covered it in the last podcast, we covered it in the podcast the season before, and the season before, about how much of a hellhole it is to go to for Middlesbrough. Not really anyone else, it seems, but just for Middlesbrough. And yeah, Nathan, it's it Ashton Gates delivered against Middlesbrough again, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It did last season as well for a forty-five minute period, uh, and once again, uh, it's it, it's played up to what it what it's always uh, been labelled as, which is just the bogiest ground ever. Um, over recent years, we've had. A, a fair share of trips to different bogey grounds. You look at Swansea, Sheffield Wednesday was um before the last sort of six or seven years. Um but yeah, Ashton Gate, we just can't seem to uh seem to shift that from being uh, on the bogey ground list. But look, uh pleased to be back recording. Uh it feels like a long time since we have been and uh we have a few sort of housekeeping subjects to talk about before Bristol City, which is uh, hopefully going to lighten the mood a little bit before we have to talk about that yesterday. Yeah, we do, of course, of course. Um, So going back a little bit now, it seems like it's all been a bit of a whirlwind since the international break. It seems like a while ago. But of course, we went to the Football Continent Awards. Unfortunately, on the night, we didn't win in our category. In all honesty, we'd had the conversation prior to arriving at Anfield that we never really expected to win. So we kind of prepared ourselves to fail. But in all seriousness, it was a really, really great night. Uh, obviously, we didn't get the chance to stand up on the stage and deliver our winning speech like we'd had in our heads and we thought we were going to have our Kanye West moment. Unfortunately, we didn't. Um but yeah, a great night put on by the Football Content Awards. And just really, as we said previously, when we first got nominated, really nice to be recognised. And obviously some of the people that we, we met on the night, it was just a pleasure, really. Uh, a special shout out to Football Heritage TV and them boys because they were sat on our table and they were just hilarious all night long. They really were the night's entertainment. Um so, yeah, obviously not the result we wanted, but still a, a very good night. And hopefully if we can get there next year, we can go one better. Yeah, a terrific night. Really enjoyed myself. Thank you, everyone, for voting for us. Uh, it really means a lot. And, uh, yeah, when the voting comes out next year, please vote for us again because uh, it was a really, really terrific night, both in the event and outside of the event as well, meeting... Uh, a few people at the event and going out with them in Liverpool. So we'll see where uh, it's hosted next year and hopefully we take off another city to go out in. But yeah, it was a, a really fantastic night. Met a load of fantastic people. And yeah, uh, I think hopefully next year we can perhaps go one better in place. Just uh, sort of closing off on that again, Thank you ever so much. I know you said Nathan, but it, it really was a bit of a certain moment of the ceremony were sort of like, I don't really know how we've ended up here. We don't really belong here. 
And when you see people like Billy Wingrove that's played in Soccer Aid and you think, yeah, okay, as some people, he's not the biggest celebrity in the world, but it's still a little bit crazy that we're in rooms with people that do this as their job and have media companies and all the rest of it. So, yeah, uh, congratulations to all the winners and thank you ever so much for the Football Content Awards for putting on such a great evening. Uh, so, Nathan, moving on to Middlesbrough matters now. A big talking point before any football or club football had even resumed, we obviously got confirmation during last week that unfortunately Daryl Enahan has had an operation and is now out for the season. I mean, it's an absolutely crushing blow, especially after the news of Tommy Smith being ruled out for the season. And I think it probably, not only because of how much of an important player he is for Middlesbrough, but just because of the shock factor of it, it really did hit hard seeing the post from him on Instagram. Because, I mean, even when we'd spoken about it in the last podcast, there wasn't sort of any murmurings or talk that it was going to be an injury of that extent. And then when he see a open up your Instagram app and see a photo of him lying in a hospital bed with the caption, that'll be me done for the season. I mean, it's, well, like I say, it's a it's a major, major blow to this Middlesbrough team. Yeah, it is. Um, we're, we're sort of short in the centre-half department anyway. Um, of course, we do have Rav that can play in there, but has been filling in at right-back. You have Matt Clark as your other centre-half there, but obviously you don't want to rush him back. He hasn't played a full 90 minutes or even a, a second of of professional football in well over a year now. Uh, so, yeah, it is really dire straits, especially when in the last podcast we talked about the, the run throughout December of game after game, pretty much Saturday, Tuesday, uh, for the full month, which look, it's gonna it's gonna provide a lot of sort of stress and strain on the squad, um, and especially on the centre half department. Um, now that Lena hands out for the season, I'm just thinking there as um, as you were speaking, Chris, that now we have four players out, uh, for periods of time that were in the playoff squad last year. They all started the playoff semi-final second leg. Uh, four players that are out for unknown periods of time and only two players that started that second leg of the playoffs uh, are fit and available at this moment in time. So it just goes to show how, uh, how quickly things can change from one season to the next. But yeah, to have four players from that squad that are still here now, all out with sort of longer term injuries. Yeah, it's uh, it's really not great. Of course, we did get the up, update on McGree and, and, and Force, which wasn't really an update, I suppose. It was just sort of, yeah, they're, they're not going to be back anytime soon, but it's, it's weeks rather than months. Well, it's been a number of months already so <laughs> it's uh it's just one of them things i suppose but yeah um you look at some of the squads in this division and and the ability to rotate at the minute we are really really struggling 
uh, in terms of being able to do that. And as mentioned, with the run of fixtures to come, it is going to be really, really difficult for the squad to continue to go and go and go again uh, for the next month if we do not have the ability to bring injured players back into the fold, which, as mentioned, it doesn't look like that's going to be very likely to happen. Yeah, and of course, it just puts an even bigger importance on on January now as well. And, you know, that's never ideal when you're going into January sort of with, I guess, other clubs also aware that you've got these big injuries and you need to basically, you need to replace them for a certain amount of time. Of course, prices go up, loan fees go up and they basically milk you because (laughs) they're aware of your problems. And... Obviously, sort of on the topic of January and recruitment and all that, we did hear from Kieran Scott during last week as well, which was really interesting. I think that the big takeouts from that were, of course, the line about Sam Greenwood and the fact that between clubs, the deal is agreed. But Greenwood also stands to benefit if Leeds are promoted in terms of his wages increasing. So that's why I guess the button hasn't been pressed to complete that deal yet because Greenwood... Yes, although we probably think, well, why wouldn't you want to sign for Middlesbrough? He's just being smart. In any other job, you'd wait and see if you get a pay increase and then see what other options you've got. So understandable from his perspective. But of course, just on that recruitment topic, just nice to see some transparency with from the club. I think over the years, they've been quite heavily criticised about not being so open and, and not sort of addressing fans questions about how the club operates in terms of recruitment and, and just club strategy really and with interviews like that it gives the fans and the media the opportunity to see inside the or see behind the curtain really and clear a few things up and just understand the values that we now carry and, and what we're trying to achieve I guess Yeah and uh, I think it was really interesting to hear him talk about Borough ready and raring to go for January. Um, on about sanctioning the plan for January, uh, this week. So hopefully we can uh see sort of the same pattern as as last January, where Borough got our two signings in early on in the window. Um, prior to Watmore leaving, and then Ramsey coming in as his replacement. Um, we had Archer in on the second day of the window, and Barlasser in shortly after. Um, so hopefully it, it's a case of Borough having our business pretty much done uh, for the start of January so that we can uh, get those players bedded in and, and ready to go for the running uh, for the back end of the season because that is really important. Yeah, it certainly would be uh, impressive if they managed to sort of outdo themselves because as far as January's go and Middlesbrough's history in the January market, it hasn't been the best and obviously last season will know the success that we had from that window. So, yeah, if they can even go anywhere close to that, then it'll have been very successful. But obviously, that is in the future. Unfortunately, Nathan, we have to talk about the present and the past on this podcast. Uh, Bristol City yesterday. Look, as we've said, a bogey ground of epic proportions, really. And... At 2-0 down yesterday, despite, in fairness, us not performing terribly up until a a mad five minutes, I guess, you kind of just felt, again, going into half-time, well, it's just 
what other reason have we got then? It's just Ashton Gate. Yeah, it's uh, it felt like deja vu from last season, really. Um, however, I think we were only one nil down at half time, and then the scored straight after the break as well. Uh, yeah. with, with that pattern of conceding straight after the break. Um, yeah, I mean, what more can you say, really, apart from worldy again, uh, from Gardner Hickman, but. I wanted to talk about how it, it comes to that, really, because I don't just want to look at us conceding goals away from home, at teams that are distinctly average, like Plymouth and like Bristol City, and not talk about what we could have done to stop it. Honestly, there was about a five-yard sort of diameter around Gardner Hickman where no Borough player wanted to go inside of it. It was like a force field almost that no one could go anywhere near him within five yards. And there was four players at different points around that five yard uh, diameter. And no one wants to go and close him down. No one wants to go and engage. Just back off, back off, back off until he's pretty much on the edge of the box. And okay, there's no taking away from the finish. It's a fantastic finish. He whips it right in that top corner, in off the bar. Uh, Dieng, absolutely no chance. Um, one of them, again, where you just look at it and you have to you have to respect the finish itself. But how it gets to that is just through just lack of desire to go and engage with the ball, really. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the, the mad five minutes sort of ensues from then on. Um we're really lucky that on another day, Dale Fry could probably be sent off. He should be sent off. Yeah. For me, it wasn't a could. It was the referees made a mistake there because he is last man back. Yeah. Conway is, is, is pretty much through, knocks it past Fry, and he's about to get his shot away. Dale Fry brings him down, yellow card. Um, And then the goal itself comes from. <sighs> Just sheer, just poor defending and laziness, really. Gander Hickman crosses the ball in. Engel, unaware of what's around him, really, and wants to flick the ball sort of back out into a crossing position for Bristol City. Does exactly that, if that's what he's aiming to do. Knocks it straight to a Bristol City player. Squared across and... Dale Fry's in a good position here. He, he is in a good position. James is not going to have a shot. His first touch, you can see the way he's shaping up to take this touch. It's going to take him away from goal, back to pretty much where the crosses or the pass has been played from. Dale Fry just sticks a lag out. Penalty. Every day, every day of the week, penalty. Uh, and... Yeah, okay, it's not reckless or anything, but ju having just been booked and probably lucky not to have been sent off, what are you thinking of? Just hanging out a lazy leg? Yeah, it, it's poor, isn't it? Um, it, it. I think I, I'm not trying to defend Dale Fry here because, well, you know that I'm a, a huge, huge Dale Fry fan, as a lot of people are, but... It's just so infuriating when he plays the way he does against Leicester and then performs the way he does yesterday. And it's probably that inconsistency which hasn't taken him to that next level that I think a lot of Middlesbrough fans thought he would reach. 
any sort of early Middlesbrough career. Um, but yeah, in this instance, it's a lazy leg. It's it's really poor for a, a player of his experience now, really. But the, the major the major problem for me here is what Engel's trying to do. I, I, I'm not really sure. As you say, he's obviously trying to flick it away from goal. He's not sure what's behind him. But you look at his body position, if he just adjusts and even glances, he sees that there's someone behind him. If he knows that and he's aware of that, he probably doesn't try and flick on a header. He just basically tries to sort of open up a little bit and swing a left boot at it. And even if he does that and he goes out for a throw-in, the situation after that where Dale Fry has to bring James down doesn't then happen. Um, again, with the first goal, I just want to go back to it because it's it's a common theme, isn't it? It happens time and time again, especially this season. I've seen lots of talk about how limited the XG is and how the great strikes. And yes, they are great strikes. It's a fantastic finish. But again, you go back to the basics that you taught when you first start playing football. Apart from passing and shooting and how to kick the ball, you taught go and engage, go and basically don't back off, don't back off, don't back off, because eventually the person who has the ball that you've backed off, has the space to get a shot off a goal. And how many times do we see it? And I don't know if it's lapses in concentration. I don't know if it's laziness. I don't know what it is, but it seems to just happen again and again and again. And I know, of course, in these scenarios, I'm not taken away from the finishes because there's been some absolute worldies, but just don't even give them the chance to get in that position. You think back to the uh, the Andre Dizel one against QPR, that is, it's further out for one and you almost look at it and yes, Johnny Houston from, I think it was Houston from memory, backs off and backs off and backs off, but he's still about 30 yards out. Yesterday, he's approaching the edge of the box and still no one's gone to engage with him and for me, it's just so frustrating. Uh, obviously, as much as he's rightfully been praised, Vandenberg, I think there's been a couple of times and something, a similar situation happened. In fact, from near enough the same position with when Azaz scores for Plymouth, Rav Vandenberg, I don't know if it's because he's used to being one in in terms of his position when he's playing centre-back. He almost gets stuck in two minds, whether attract the runner, the winger that he's playing against, or go and engage. And then it sort of creates the confusion of, well, Dale Fry in this instance, do I go out and engage? It just takes one of them. I think it probably should be Vandenberg because he he almost jockeys backwards, backwards, backwards. But yeah, it's it's infuriating because as I say, it's 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 basics. It is a phenomenal finish, but just go and try and prevent the shot. And we might not be in a situation where the player just so happens to rifle one in the top corner. Obviously, from that point, in fairness, I guess you've got to give us a little bit of credit in the fact that we get ourselves back into the game. But then we shoot ourselves in the foot again and the third goal potentially could be the worst goal from a defensive perspective out of the three. And it's just... 
again, I use the word infuriating because you do the hard part, you get back on level terms. I mean, the first one's a great slice of luck. I'm not really sure what the Bristol City defender's trying to do, but it's a hilarious own goal. Second goal, they're trying to play out. Great ball from Greenwood, excellent finish from Crooks. And you think, wow, within the space of having our own mad five minutes and potentially costing us the game, we've spun it round on our on the head and we find ourselves on level terms. And then it's a lapse in concentration again. And like these long-range goals, a theme is developing that for Middlesbrough to get anything away from home, we have to go and score two or three goals. And that is just not something that can continue and it's not sustainable. And you've seen games against Plymouth and games against Bristol City yesterday and even Exeter. Yes, OK, we go on and win the game, but you've got to go and score three. We're just giving ourselves mountains to climb all the time. And as I say, that's not sustainable. Yeah, and it's uh, it's not enjoyable to watch either really Con- conceding goals where not necessarily trying to <clears throat> sort of get at the sides that we're playing against, but they're not necessarily like anything well worked or where they've carved you open completely and you think, oh, well, you've got to give them quite a lot of credit for that. They've, they've passed it round us. They've knocked it round really well. Um yeah, okay, there have been a few like good strikes in, in the goals that we've conceded, but for the most part, you can just point blame uh, at, at ourselves, really. Um, and this one is a corner, a deep corner to Dickie, of course. The centre-half, who you'd expect, is probably going to try and win the first contact. Crooks is initially marking him as the ball comes into the box. And Dickie peels off round the back of Cameron Pring. Crooks sort of tries to follow him, but is blocked off by Pring. Dickie gets highest, wins that first contact, as expected. Uh, heads the ball back across goal. Uh, Dieng makes a good save from that. And just watching it as he makes that save. Greenwood is stood with Sykes. He's turned now facing the goal as Dieng's making the save, watching the save being made. And he can see the ball looping down. Sykes is obviously anticipating where the ball's going to drop. And Greenwood doesn't move. In he fresh form, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he he's not not aware of where Sykes is, not anticipating where the ball's going to drop. Uh and in the end, it's actually Latte Lath who's the closest to Sykes in the end. Um, who's trying to recover for for Greenwood's lapse of concentration. These things happen, you know, you can't go through a football match and just have no mistakes made and everything goes the way that it should because otherwise no team would score a goal in every game would be nil-nil. But you look at some of the goals we concede and these goals are preventable. And it's annoying because, yes, we've got this sort of tagline almost. Well, 
not almost, we are a second half team. The stats are there to back that up. But when you've given yourself so much of a mountain to climb, you get to almost the summit and then you fall completely off it and basically get right back down to the start. It's like playing one of those games. Do you remember when you were a kid and you stuck on that level for so long and then you're finally just about to finish the level and you die and you've got to go right back to the start and it feels like the worst thing in the world. That is pretty much the equivalent to what we did yesterday and it makes it all the more frustrating. And the even more frustrating thing, like I said to you yesterday, Nathan, is if, look, it's in the past now, it's gone, but if you look at games like QPR, if you look at games like Huddersfield, you, games like yesterday and results like yesterday, you almost accept them more. But because we had such a bad start, we can't afford to basically be giving teams 45 minutes to kind of do what they want and then having our own 45 minutes to try and claw things back. Because just the way football is, and the flow of games and things like that, you're not always going to be able to basically have a 45 minutes that turns things around. And it was the polar opposite of the Leicester game because we stay in a game for that long in two halves and produce a moment and go and get the win. Yesterday we played a good 35 minutes at tops, maybe, I'm not sure. But it's... It's infuriating. I've probably said that word about 87 times in this podcast, but it is because it's an inconsistency and it, it might be to do with uh, a fairly young team. And, you know, the likes of Tommy Smith and Daryl Lenahan, really experienced heads who, in moments like yesterday, have a bit of nous about them and a bit of gamesmanship to sort of see out moments and go down and kill momentum and things like that. But yesterday, there wasn't really a build-up of momentum. It was just a lapsing concentration again. And then we concede the third, and it's... Yeah. You, you're right, really. Uh, there wasn't any build-up of momentum from them in the second half. Um, look, the score go from a corner from when they broke. Uh, and Engel goes down injured. We make a sub. Bangura comes on. And whether... The lads just think, right, making a sub, we'll see this corner and then normal service will resume uh, in the second half where Borough will be on top in their final third looking to create. And then you find yourself 3-2 down. You can't break them down again. Um, and look, it, it, it's it's come from yesterday and the, the result has come from a silly five minutes at the end of the first half and one lapse of concentration in the second half and you've conceded three goals. Honestly, in the, I'm not trying to sort of disregard every size in this league, but Bristol City yesterday were nothing special at all. And look, you said yesterday that inconsistencies are a sign of where we are. And you're right. We can go and play sides that are nothing special and they, they make us look even poorer than they are. And that was exactly it yesterday. We turned up for maybe... I don't, I don't think they make us look poorer than what... 
poorer than what we are. I think we make ourselves look poorer than what we are. Yeah, yeah, you're right, probably. Um, but just, it's not even a case of us being inconsistent in, in like, the last sort of 10 games. We've won the majority of the last 10 games or so. But just in the last two away games, particularly with Plymouth and Bristol City, you have spells in those games where you can you look like a really really good side in some of those moments um where you carve teams open look at greenwood's goal all the way at plymouth switched it from left all the way to the right literally like two touch down that right hand side bang 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 goal and then you can have moments like I don't know, the Azaz goal or like yesterday again where you fall asleep on a corner and you concede. And and look, these are what are going to cost us. If you want to be a, a serious side that's going for promotion or trying to get, the, get in the playoffs in the championship, you need to be and, and make sure that games like yesterday are one-offs really that they need to happen once every good couple of months uh and we're, we're two away games out of two for uh being being really poor um away from home and if they don't shape up away from home and uh continue along the lines of we're gonna have to score three to even get a point out of games away from home We'll be uh we'll be really really struggling um spe- especially with the week that we've got coming up next. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I would say that leads us quite nicely <laughs> the week upcoming. It's probably not the nicest of weeks coming up in terms of going onto it off the back of the weekend's result. We will talk about that, but I just wanted to touch on something quickly because I know we've consistently on this podcast jumped to the defence of Josh Coburn and it's not really a popular opinion amongst Middlesbrough fans um, or at least a vocal sort of majority or minority I'm not really sure because they are so vocal on social media that are seemingly you know at times preying on Josh Coburn's downfall for Latty Laugh to come into the team and, and be the saviour that I'm sort of yet to see that that what he is. Um, by no means is that me completely disregarding his talent and, and what he has shown in glimpses. But for me yesterday, that was exactly why the performance from Latilath and it, and in part, us as a team, that is exactly why Josh Coburn has consistently started for the last however many games. Because the amount of times the ball went up to Lailaf. And I know this, the argument of, well, we're not playing to his strengths, but, you know, just because Lailaf happens to be playing, we can't then sort of change the whole dynamic of the team for one player, unfortunately, for those that are absolutely adamant he's the second coming of Mbappe. Um, I I think the dynamic of having Josh Coburn up front, someone that can make the ball stick, someone that can relieve pressure and basically not allow us to 
put the ball forward and then immediately be spun straight back round and put ourselves under pressure is a really, really underrated quality. And for me, Josh Coburn yesterday proved in about three minutes of being on the pitch that at the moment he's the best option for us as a starting number nine. Yeah, um, and I think he will start on Tuesday night as well. Um, I think that when you look at the sort of game states of, of, of recent games, you look at yesterday, Bristol City, two centre-halves that really, in the nicest way possible, just head the ball centre-halves. Um, in, in, in Dickie and, and Viner, not particularly known for stepping out from the back, being good on the ball or anything like that. And he and Carrick ops for for that laugh yesterday for whatever reason, I'm I'm not so sure. Um, and then you look at the previous game, where you'd say that Leicester two players that want to step out with the ball, leaving spaces on that last line of defence, a side that plays a high line, where you could possibly use pace to exploit him in behind. And he ops with Corburn. It, I mean, it worked, but yesterday I think was just wrong to uh, to to start Latte Lath really. Um, but again, maybe it'll it'll allow a few fans to see, uh, really that Latte Lath is probably best used from the bench at this moment in time. Um, he's got his pace, he's got his non-stop pressing. And when you're playing against players that have been pinned by Josh Coburn for 65, 70 minutes in games, Latia Lat's the last sort of player that you want to see coming off the bench. So, yeah, for me, that's the way that it should work uh, going forward because yesterday, look, I, I can't really remember Latia Lath contributing a whole lot at all, even in build-up for, for any of any of the chances that we created, really, um, which is unfortunate because I, I do want it to do well. Um, but look, Coburn came on the pitch yesterday and I think his, fir his first sort of impact on the pitch was in 20 seconds of him being on. Yeah, it sort of reminds me a little bit of Blackburn away a few years ago under Karanka where everyone was crying out for uh, <laughs> Nugent and Rhodes to start together. And he did start with the two of them, with two strikers. And then after the game, he come out and sort of said, that's why I don't start with two strikers. And I think we got beat on the night, I'm fairly certain. And it just didn't work at all. And as you say, I completely echo what you said. The dynamic that works the best is having Josh Coburn to really just work two centre-halves. I mean, let's be honest, in this division, OK, I'm not sort of tarring everyone with the same brush, but the likelihood is most championship centre-back pairings are two bruisers that their strengths lie with heading and kicking the ball. Josh Coburn, probably a little bit better of a matchup for two centre-offs that would just want to stay on the edge of the box and defend, as you say, Leicester. It worked, but complete opposite, really. And having Latty laugh and the weapon of his pace off the bench as a counter-attack um, option is, is very useful. And at the moment, that is 
in my opinion, the best way to use him. But as I say, I'm not completely writing him off just yet. So please don't be too upset um, if you are in the Emmanuel Latte Laugh fan club. Um, we went off track a little bit there, but Nathan, you did touch on the week upcoming, obviously Preston and Leeds, two sides that sit higher than us in the table, two sides that have had sort of in, in, in differing circumstances, impressive starts to the season. Um, Leeds, albeit a little bit inconsistent, but they've shown, of course, in the win against Leicester and in other games, the quality that they possess. And Preston, more so the fact that they've, up until this stage, just about sustained sort of their position. I know they have dropped off and obviously they got beat late yesterday. They're a bogey side. Um, we've come into this game off the back of a poor result. Um, <laughs> they were 1-0 up on, on Saturday at home to Cardiff. Uh, had a man sent off, second yellow for dissent, and had to last the last 40 minutes, I think it was, uh, down to 10 men. And they did. They lasted the last 40 minutes. Uh, and kept it 1-0. However, there was 10 minutes of stoppage time added on at the end of the game, and they conceded 90 plus 6 and 90 plus 9 and got beat 2-1. So, look, they'll be looking to react, but I'm hoping that that sort of knocked the stuffing out of them a little bit um, and they come to the Riverside and Borough can get back to winning ways uh, to set us up to another bulky ground on Saturday afternoon, uh, Leeds. It's uh, it's got the feeling of of Sunderland away from the other month for me. Really, I mean, I know that you were incredible. I remember distinctly sitting on this podcast before the Sunderland game, and for the final ten minutes of that podcast. And bearing in mind, obviously, we've the last few weeks we've we've actually tried to sort of keep the podcast a little bit shorter and more sort of. <laughs> Um, action-packed rather than just sort of for the last 10 minutes waffling about random stuff. Um, For the last 10 minutes of that Sunderland podcast, I, I can't really remember you actually saying anything apart from just sort of staring into space and being on the verge of tears at the thought of a dismantling. For whatever reason, and I know it's easy for me to see given that result, Leeds scares me more than Sunderland a lot more because I think they've got players where if we don't turn up or we give them a 45-minute head start, it could be in a double mountain to climb and it could be three or four before we get a chance to actually decide, oh, we are playing a football match in the second half, lads. It's a difficult task, made even more difficult with the fact that Sam Green would obviously won't be available for the game because of his deal with Middlesbrough still being alone. Uh, ironic given that it was sort of mentioned this week that that fix just come round so quickly but we'll be without him we'll probably or most definitely still be without Marcus Force but regardless we're going to be without Greenwood so it's probably going to be barring injuries Jones, Crooks and one of Silvera or Rogers. Um so that in itself obviously weakens us I guess to some extent but also with injuries and with Leeds' quality. I mean, as we said, it is, it's going to be an incredibly difficult game. 
Engel could be out as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he could be. Yeah, we do, we don't know the extent there. Um, obviously limped off yesterday. Um, yeah, it's it's got honestly, it's got sort of all the hallmarks of what could be a really really horrible afternoon. Look, two difficult games to come in the week ahead. An even more difficult run of fixtures after that. And actually, <laughs> I said in the last podcast, I'm excited for these games. One game in this run, we haven't even hit December yet, and Bristol City have crumbled all of my hope and aspirations. Again, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not being bad. We haven't even hit the good teams yet. Yeah. So, so, so look, we've This has been an upbeat one, hasn't it? Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Look. Preston leads to come in the next week. We'll not get ahead of ourselves. Preston on Tuesday night. See what it brings. Hopefully three points under the lights at the Riverside. Um, look, I, I was looking at the table yesterday and just to sort of have a, have a seat at the results and, and things like that. And yesterday's results didn't necessarily batter us in terms of the table a win on Tuesday night would really 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 help us out but yeah Preston Tuesday night let's deal with them first before dealing with that lot yeah uh, what a place to end it on I mean I, I hope by now you haven't convinced yourselves after listening to this podcast that we are actually going to be sucked back into a relegation dogfight. Um, I think that's the sort of tone of the podcast, but, you know, <laughs> it really does hurt when you when you have a defeat like yesterday, especially after all of the hope being dashed away after pulling two goals back. But, yeah, that has been another episode of the Brockless podcast. As I say, a slightly more downbeat one. Hopefully next week will be uh, slightly more upbeat. Thank you ever so much for watching and listening and that's been another episode of the Broblis Podcast. Water, 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 water.